Many years ago when I was in college, I was studying uh, on my way to be a pastor, and I was a biblical studies major. And when you combine this newfound desire and reception of a call on your life, and you're 19 years old, you think you're always right, and you love telling everyone what you know, and it gets really irritating. And I had a bunch of buddies and who were all on the same track, and, and they, would, they would learn their stuff, and they're always right, and you're always right, and it's you don't accomplish anything. So you want to experience that? You're always right, they're always right, and you have a conversation, and it's just, and we loved it because we thought, oh, it's this theological thing and all that. Well, then it got amped up when you got into seminary because then it got more serious. And then you started kind of taking offense to it, and then you were like, it was, I'm against this person, and your theologies are clashing, and you're doing all this stuff. And sometimes, someone will say something, and it just, you want to record it so they can hear it and slap themselves so you don't have to slap them. <laughs> Come on now. Yes. We don't like talking, saying it out loud, but we feel that way. You hear something that comes out of someone's mouth and you go, what did they just say? They need to hear this, right? They need to hear it because they would slap themselves if they heard what they said. Well, I was down that road and I was trying to let go of the things because being right didn't matter if it didn't get me close to Jesus. And I realized that. But some of the people I I talked with, their favorite, or that I was friends with, that were pastors, their favorite thing to do is to go to the to the pubs, not a bar, a pub, and have some scotch and smoke a cigar and talk theology and see who's right and prove the other wrong. And that is not my thing. But they would say stuff and I would go, what? And one of the things that this particular individual friend of mine said to me, we were talking about sin and we were talking about grace and what grace looks like in the midst of sin and what Jesus did on the cross. And this person said to me, I count my sins and I've only sinned twice today. And I said, well, I'm not going to tell you how much I did because I don't count and I just feel the ramification of it. <laughs> and I don't want to be depressed by counting mine. I said, well, okay, two times. He goes, I said, well, it's Thursday. What was the rest of the week like? Well, it's a total of 12, if you should know. And, you know, yesterday was three. The other day was one. You know, I don't know how the math worked out. And I just, I'm sitting there going, what? (laughs) Because now this is someone, when we begin to count sins, and be a a judge and jury on what those are, they're the ones you identify. Think about that for a second. Those are the ones this person identified, which meant they're probably living in that a little bit, wouldn't you say? But anyways, this whole understanding, and I said, well, I said, why are you counting them? Because, well, we're saved by grace, and we shouldn't be sinning anymore, and live under the the law, and, uh, you know, and we're free from sin. So I make sure that my sins are less and less and less, and I go, well, okay, what, what passages are you using that you are interpreting this way? Because I'll be honest, and I try to live to that, being honest, I am dumbfounded. Absolutely dumbfounded. Now, this was a friend that I could say some things to, and I said, I kind of want to slap you. 
And they quoted Romans 6.1 and following. And today we are back into Romans. We, yeah! We had a little reprieve, and, and so we're back. And just to give you a little context of these two verses that we're going to focus on today, in chapter 5 it ends with Paul stating that through one man's trespass, condemnation to the world happened. But through one man's act of righteousness and faithfulness, the world was saved in Jesus. And this is what Paul says in chapter 6, verses 1 through 2, that we'll be discussing today. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Let me read that one more time. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Now, this particular person, this was years ago, saw that very literally and was taking as a, we can't be sinning at all. Do we want to sin? No, we don't. And it got to the point for this person that I, I confessed to them about someone I knew, dear, uh, that was outside of their context about a struggle they had and they, their theology took them to a place questioning their salvation. This was a, a pastor friend who had, a, who had one mistake. There was a faithfulness here and they had a, a falling here and this, this other friend of mine is saying, well, I don't think they're saved. Whoa! There's an issue here, and Paul's addressing it head on. See, because the people, the Pharisees and those teachers of the law were, were coming against Paul with this understanding of grace. And we are saved by grace. And they would say to Paul, well, in my terms, they would say to him, well, this just means they can sin and do whatever they want. Paul said, no, that's not what it means. Grace gives you the space and the access to receive and exercise the faithfulness of God. To be where he is. Paul is not making the case you will not make a sinful decision ever again. It will happen. If, if, if that's the case, we're all in trouble. Amen? I mean, phew, I'm busted. Do I want to sin? No. But do I? Yeah. I do. Thank God I don't have to count them. Yeah. I'm going to try and get up here. See, there's a tension here. Because that particular person, whom I love, by the way, very much, is not the only person that holds that, that believes that, and that would try to convince others of that. But to take grace... And then shape it around performance. Are you a slave to Christ? Or are you a slave to something else? See, here's the deal. If I'm sitting around counting my sins, am I a slave to Christ or am I a slave to sin? It's a different angle. But I'm still more concerned about my behavior than my proximity to Jesus. For whatever intention, good or bad. It doesn't matter. If I sit here and I start counting everything I've done wrong, 
Whoa, how is that getting me closer to Jesus? How many have had the inner monologue or conversation with yourself about your failures? How many at the end of that conversation without Jesus involved felt really good about the future? How many of you felt relationally edified? How many of you felt, yeah, I'm ready to engage Jesus? No. So why would the mandate from Jesus himself be a grace that causes you to perform in a form of morality and to keep track of it because it doesn't draw you near him? Grace says you're no longer a slave to this. It no longer has dominion over your life. I have freed you from it so that you can run to me. Jesus is no fool. He knows that we're going to make decisions that don't reflect who he is. Hence the grace. But grace is not a condoning word. It's not do whatever you want. My least favorite thing is when someone is modeling something unhealthy and then a Christian person say, well, we just need to extend them grace. Well, what does that look like? Let them do what they're doing. Sometimes grace is a hard word, a hard conversation, whatever it may be. So we cannot look at this. When Paul says grace, he's not talking about this free to do whatever you want and you're still going to go to heaven. You're still uh, No, he's saying grace affords you the opportunity to stay with Jesus, to be sanctified to be sanctified, to be with Jesus to the point you become like him and you begin to model him. We have a problem in our culture and just in humanity. We want to talk about what we're against and not who we're for and who we're with. It's rampant everywhere. Even in the church, well, you did that. You need to keep track of that behavior because that behavior is going to be really bad. (laughs) Really? I know that. Well, you need to know that I know that, and I'm going to remind you of it. Well, that that, that just ushers me right into God's presence. (laughs) Do we want to endorse sin? No. Do we want to sin? No, but we should be more concerned about ushering people into the loving embrace of Jesus and less about what you're doing or not doing because scripture says this, faith will breed obedience. Faith will do that. To believe in Jesus and to walk with him, if we are engaging him, the whole point is that we begin to become like him in the sanctifying process that will make us more like him in heart and behavior. And then you don't have to worry about the sin. You be concerned about where Jesus is and staying there with him. Because it says he's with us, but even though we know he's with us, we don't always engage him, do we, folks? We have to engage the one we're with. And then we become more and more and more like him. To have an approach where we have to count sin or someone else's betrays the essence of relationship. It betrays it. See, good, healthy relationship will lend itself to correction, but it comes from a different place. 
It doesn't come from a place of if you behave, then you can belong. It says you have chosen to walk with Jesus in a way, and this behavior is not leading you into the arms of Christ. That's a different scenario. But to say, you know, Steve, you, you six sins today, I witnessed in under an hour, man, you are, whoa, this is not good. Is that helpful? No. We want it to be this pretty package because guess what? Ultimately, grace makes us feel uncomfortable. It really does. It makes me uncomfortable. How many of you, it makes you feel a little uncomfortable? It does. Because it's not dependent on anything I can control other than my yes to Jesus. There's nothing else. I can't make up for anything I've done. I can't fix anything. Grace makes me feel really, really uncomfortable. And it feels messy and it feels unknown. But guess what? The messiness of Jesus, which is in the greatest sense of the word, is a beautiful thing because relationship is a mess. And when we try to make it pretty and clean so that we don't have to deal with the things that we're uncomfortable with, we begin to remove ourselves from the whole point. And that's to be where he is and engage him in that. It's so very important. But we don't like the unknown because it is messy. Guess what today is? Can anyone get church calendar people? What's today? Pentecost Sunday. And what, why, what is Pentecost Sunday? Hold it. I like that. Holy Spirit came down. Yeah. Was it clean? No. It was a mess. It was a beautiful mess. A wind that just poof and produced so much scary in the sense of unknown crazy stuff that only comes with Jesus. If you are not tipped upside down, topsy-turvy by the Holy Spirit, whoa, we got to wake up, folks. We got to stop counting the sins and the behavior and start letting Holy Spirit to mix it up in our hearts in ways that we've never let him do it before. Because Holy Spirit is always operating in the manifestation of grace in your life and messing with you. It gets a little unnerving, the unknown, but we can't, we can't take the beautiful realities of God and then make them what we think they should be so that we can feel comfortable. If I count my sins, at least I know where I stand. When I move under grace, there's a lot of unknown. When I lose, when I, when I lose my way to, to sin, shame's pretty tangible. It's horrible, but I know where I stand. Guilt, it's horrible, but I know where I stand. So I build this world, and Paul's saying, no, no. Grace diminishes, it destroys what Jesus did on the cross destroys that paradigm because only faith can get you in the place where you behave the way you're supposed to. Only faith can. Not your own power. 
So stop worrying about whether you're sinning or not and start worrying about, am I engaging Jesus? And then guess what will happen? Those sinful actions will start taking a back seat and then you won't see them anymore. But you're not gonna go, did I do that today? No, what you're gonna say is, Lord, was I faithful to be where you are? Did I engage you today? Paul's not saying there won't be times you won't sin. But he's saying you won't be controlled by it. You don't have to be controlled by it. I put it this way, as simple as I can for myself. I'm not a Californian anymore. I might visit, but I'm a Minnesotan now. Yeah, thank you. Whoa! I never thought in a million years I would do that. Because partially I didn't know Minnesota was in the United States, so I was like 17. Yeah. It's like Southern California and everyone else is a foreign country. It's kind of the opposite now, isn't it? <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> but as we enter Romans, again, we have to be reminded of verse 1, chapter 1. I, Paul, a slave to whom? Christ. I, Paul, a slave to Christ. I, Brendan, a slave to Christ. Us, Bridgewood Community Church, slaves to Jesus, who he is, the power of his spirit, without fear, not being ruled by fear, but being ruled by faith. It comes from his love. And then the world will see a faithful church that acts the right way, not for the sake of acting the right way, but the sake of being faithful to exemplifying the one they love. Remember, Jesus makes it so clear. Go and make disciples. Go teach and show people through relationship who you love. Teach them to love who you love. Why do you love him? Let that be seen. Grace allows us to be where he is. And he says again in John 17, to the Lord in front of people, for all believers, he says, I want them to be where I am so they can see my glory. I want them to be where I am. I don't want them counting sins. I want them to be where I am. And then they will see my glory. And guess what? Then we will be walking in his glory. And then people will see his glory and know that the Father has sent him because we are walking in his glory. Thank you, Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I don't need to count my sin. I don't need to be dominated by my sin, but dominated by your Holy Spirit, dominated by your love, dominated by your grace. And we, in the simplicity of Jesus, need to learn to live in that and accept it and receive it with all its unknowns. The only thing we need to know is that he is with us and he loves us. He'll never forsake us. He's there. Whom shall I fear if he is with me? Not my sin, not someone's threats, not my past. Because he's there. And he's saying, engage me. Engage me. We had this huge event 
this past weekend that I'm putting him on the spot and I didn't even ask him, but Mark Zamora over here, raise your hand, who is formerly our junior high pastor. Yep. <laughs> Has been working diligently and uh, with Pulse Ministries and they put on this huge event. Did anyone go on Friday night and see this wonderful thing? My prayer is that 56,000 people will now be encouraged to engage the loving God, not behave their way into their arms, but run to him. And that those who accepted Jesus in that place and any other place would begin to share with people through how they interact, how they converse with them, whom they love, to teach them to love whom they love. It's simple, folks. You don't have to teach theology or arithmetic, but just the reasons why you love someone. Make your case. Let them see that being with him is the only thing that matters. Because we've seen life without him, and it sucks. And I will say it that way. And that's not even a strong enough word. It's death. So don't let anyone, with whatever theology degree they have, tell you it's about anything other than engaging Jesus. Because we will always fall short. Always, if Jesus and being where he is is not our gain, we want to be a slave to him and no one else. I'm done. Is that okay? <laughs> Lord, we thank you and we praise you. I, lo- I love the brilliance, and I use that word intentionally. The brilliance of the simplicity in which you communicate and move. Now, we make it complicated, but you don't. You make it clear. You say it. You show it. You continue to show it. I want my children to be where I am. And we want to teach people to love the way we love you. So I pray a blessing over this church family as we continue to quest to engage you, to be with you, to allow you to love us, and to exemplify and model that love to the people around us. We thank you that we don't need to to be beholden to any other thing spirit, person than you. We thank you that through your death and your resurrection, we have access to you and sin no longer has dominion over our life for those of us that call you Lord. I pray a blessing of protection over our hearts and our minds and our spirits. I break and cancel off in Jesus' name any any. Uh, Shame, guilt, fear from past decisions. May we know those of us that have lived in that kind of garbage for too long, there's new life in you. May we know there is a new moment right here, now, to be wrecked by your Holy Spirit.
to accept more deeply and fully the love you have for us. I pray against anything the church has done to any one of us or the world has done to any of us that make us feel that you are not approachable and that you are not a God that forgives anything and everything. Lord, we pray that we leave this place knowing more fully and more deeply it's all about you. I pray a blessing over our tithes and our offerings this morning. As we give, we give freely, we give generously, we give faithfully all our resources, time, relationship. It doesn't matter. It's yours. And we pray that you would use it for your kingdom and for your glory so that people would know, people would know they are loved. People would know that they are seen. So we ask God in Jesus' name you'd have your way with these gifts, these offerings. But more importantly, we want to offer our hearts. There's a lot of unknowns, which is why you make it simple. Trust me. Trust me. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.
Hopes in you, 